Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you all for joining us for a very special episode of the Housing Matters Podcast, episode 100. And we coincided perfectly with the release of our 2023 annual housing market forecast. Of course, we're your favorite data nerds, back with everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. My name is Jordan Levine. I'm the chief economist here at the California Association of Realtors, and I'm joined by my good friend and our deputy chief economist, Oscar Way. Hey, Oscar. Hey, Jordan. And hi, everyone. We're here on video, so we're going to do a a special episode where we're going to walk you through the 2023 forecast we just released. We'll be showing some slides, and you can get that on car.org, but we'll do our best to kind of explain what you're looking at for our normal uh, podcast listeners. So I'm going to jump over to our slide deck because we have a lot of pretty pictures to show this time. And uh, we had a great time at Reimagined, didn't we? Yes, we did. We did. Um, I know it's uh, only a week ago, but uh, we we covered a lot of ground, and you did a really good, you know, forecast. And uh, I think uh, a lot of people, you know, who listen to our for- uh, listen to our podcast, uh, they probably are not surprised with the numbers that uh, you'll be sharing. But uh, we still want to get into the details, and we want to, uh, you know, give you guys some updates as to what we are seeing right now and what we believe is going to happen in the upcoming year. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the way I wanted to start was maybe just to take a minute or two, if I could monopolize the podcast for a second, just talk about some of the context, right? Because if you look at at kind of everything coming down the pike, whether it's the you know newspaper headlines or recent data releases and things like that, it's it's really easy to get bogged down in the kind of, uh, you know, most recent headline. The Fed's going to raise rates. The inflation numbers continue to be bad. The retail sales numbers were, were kind of weak. And I think it's really important to interpret everything that we're seeing uh, with some context, with some perspective, and to really take a step back, right? Because we're coming off of a market that was just so incredibly out of whack. Am I right? Absolutely. Yes. It depends on what angle. I think you have a perfect picture here. It depends on what angle, what perspective you're looking at. And obviously, um, we will definitely have all have our opinion, but we want to share with you, you know, all the different angles and uh, you know, try to get the uh, the whole picture. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to just kind of take a step back for the last couple of years and just talk about the broader economy because I think mm-hmm. that. When you look back at where we've been, you know, where we're at starts to make a little bit more sense and also hopefully will make us a little bit less fearful about what's coming down the pike in the future. If you go back to the kind of onset of the pandemic a few years ago, there's no doubt it was a huge hit to the economy, right? We lost almost 3 million jobs, very short period of, of time. And yet we had this housing market that was doing better than ever. And when you look at those jobs that were lost, we weren't really losing um, the kind of high wage, home buyer, um, high income type jobs that had really fueled the housing cycle up to this point. Most of the job losses, and and if you go to our slides, you'll be able to see that the vast majority were concentrated in some of our kind of lowest wage sectors and the ones that were really kind of high face-to-face interaction, right? It was the ones we couldn't do remotely. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and actually, if you boil those numbers down, I made a super nerdy um, pie chart. But the point (laughs) being is that, you know, two thirds of the jobs roughly came directly out of our four lowest wage sectors. And, and, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, the highest wage industries in California, 
accounted for less than 10% of the drop. So those high income earners were doing well. And there was a lot of other stuff going on in the economy that really helped those high income earners too, right? Absolutely. You know, of course, if you look at, you know, the pandemic, during a pandemic, pandemic time, it was an, a very uncertain time. And uh, safe to say, you know, uh, because of the shutdown, a lot of jobs that were in high contact, um, those are service sectors. And we know that because of, you know, us being uh, working from home, those sectors get affected significantly. You show you show a slide earlier, and many of those um, you know who work in the service sectors, they were uncertain. And the last what two two and a half years, even though we have recovered a little bit in the last 18, 24 months, a lot of those service sectors continue to be in recovery mode. And we haven't completely recovered from that, you know, uh, from the, the pandemic shutdown yet. And a lot right. of things actually have happened in the past two years that might have changed some of those service industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the point being is just that those high wage, you know, earners continued to do well and the stock market was doing well. And again, those losses were concentrated in industries just where affordability having been what it's been in California wasn't really sourcing a lot of those home buyers, right? The, the restaurant and hotel workers were really already up against it. And again, it was those kind of tech workers and all those remotable jobs that were fueling right, right. kinds of buyer demand. And then of course, we had remote work, right? And we did a big consumer survey. Um, talk a little bit about the consumer survey that we did, because it was really a goldmine of information. Absolutely. The consumer survey we had was, uh, we, we do consumer surveys every year. And uh, this last couple of years, it's actually very valuable because we try to find out indirectly from buyers and sellers and renters and homeowners, you know, what are some of the things that they experienced in the last two years? Things like, you know, remote working. Those are some of the factors that affect people uh, in terms of where do you want to buy, um, you know, whether they want to buy at a more affordable regions, uh, whether they want to be, they want to buy bigger homes, it really changed the last couple of years has really changed their preferences, you know, their, um, the type of home that they want to buy and uh, who actually gets to buy a home because of affordability. Now take a look at the slide right here. Uh, in the survey, we ask about, you know, whether people are remote working or whether they uh, will be remote working uh, full-time, part-time. Um, and this particular survey was done in 2022. So it might be a little different compared to 2021 number, but a lot of things actually, a lot of things have changed. Technology has changed in the last year, year and two. And people realize, well, we can actually do remote working. Uh, you know, if it's just a technology issue, we are very capable of doing so. And you look at the numbers here, how many people are actually working full-time? A significant number. Um, if you include full-time and part-time together, we're looking at around, what, two-thirds of the labor force or two-thirds of the people who can work. You know, right. Uh, and as you said, this is in 2022. So that includes mm -hmm. some of the kind of return to work that some folks have, have already done. So just, again, big, big numbers. And I think when you add that on top of the really strong economic performance of those top income earners, it really kind of um, just created even more insatiable uh, buyer demand. And actually, they all you know plan more or less to continue. It was like 67% that said they work remote now. And we said, how many of you think you're going to work remote in the future? And it was almost the exact same folks, right, right that they're planning at least part-time to stay uh, remote. And of course, that, as you mentioned, played into their decision to work remote, right? You see, again, almost two thirds of the folks that bought and those were all home buyers. Am I right? Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of time, once you get a chance of working from home, <laughs> you kind of think, well, there's a lot of flexibility to, to it. And 
if people know, if people realize, okay, well, in the past, I'm not able to buy a home because I have to be five minutes or 10 minutes away from my office and my office is in downtown LA. Now, if you can actually work from home, you can actually move to, you know, Riverside, San Bernardino, a little bit further away from your work and still be able to achieve home ownership. Yep, exactly. And and I think, you know, again, that just kind of added fuel to the fire of the fact that the stock market was up, home values were up, um, you know, and now we kind of throw this extra um, flexibility in. But of course, it wasn't just the economy and remote working, right? There was also the kind of um, Federal Reserve effect and just the fact that we hit the lowest rates of, of all time that really, I think, is the trifecta. Uh, because again, when you look at where interest rates fell to, I think we were at 2.65% at one point there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what you mentioned, interest rates and remote working, all of those are like sort of byproducts of the, the pandemic because it was not an intentional. Obviously, nobody wanted you know the shutdown to happen. But interest rates combined with remote working, with rates dropping, who would have known that rates would have dropped to below 3%? I think in many of your presentation or my presentation, we never said, we always say 3% is probably like a one-time deal. Yeah, right. Exactly. And especially coming out of like 2019, when we were already in a low rate environment, you know, I I, kind of thought that the the rates were going to start to trend up. And then, of course, we had this once in a lifetime shock to to the economy. But, you know, ultimately, it just kind of gave buyers a lot more purchasing power out there. When you look at where we were at at roughly 5% before the pandemic, you know, you take a $150,000 a year household and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're looking at a house that can, you know, roughly $690,000. Well, as rates dropped to 3%, that same household, that same $150,000 household to get the exact same debt to income ratio could now do so on an $860,000 home. And so just again, an incredible increase in, in purchasing power that I think, you know, explains at least half of that price growth that we've seen over the last couple of years. Because again, we've been talking about inventory, not just for the last couple of years, but for like 10 years, right? Just constantly every, that's like a, a constant feature of the uh, of the Housing Matters podcast. And so mm-hmm. when the inventory is so tight and you get this increase to purchasing power, you end up just offering more money for those homes. And I think that, you know, explains a, a big chunk of the run up in prices. And that does explain, you know, uh, uh, quite a bit of how people feel about, okay, I'm, I can be a little bit more competitive. I can actually offer a little bit more. And, uh, you know, that, that, that does change, you know, the uh, picture uh, a little bit in the last couple of years. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I think that this all kind of comes together in this kind of insatiable buyer demand and virtually every indicator that you look at, um, you know, and we'll take you through some of the, the major ones that we looked at, but they're all like at 10, 12, 15, year highs. Look at mortgage applications. I mean, we went not just to, you know, pre-pandemic levels in 21. We were at, you know, again, the highest levels when you look back over the last um, decade, people were actually going out and filling out those mortgage applications. The other thing that we saw was a lot of people were getting into the market for the first time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you may show some slide later on. Uh, now we're seeing first-time buyers, you know, uh, getting to the highest level. Now, a lot of time, you know, when you see sales, uh, increase in sales, it's a combination of first-time buyers and repeat buyers. When you have repeat buyers, 
having a lot of gain in equity, that will be you know prompting people to uh, go into the market. But what about first-time buyers? First-time buyers actually feel more powerful, like what you said, when they have actually low rates. And right. that's prompted them to actually get into the market. And first-time buyers also, I mean, because of demographic reasons, we are also seeing quite a bit of the first-time buyers coming onto the market. We have yeah. talked about, you know, in the past, millennial, they're turning to the age of certain age group, and this is the time for them to actually get into the market. That's exactly why first-time buyer shares actually start rising quite a bit. Yeah, you have those long, long-term kind of high-income tech-enabled uh, renters that, that, like you said, that kind of perfect storm of low rates and remote work, and and that you know those folks all kept their jobs and maybe even um, you know saw their stock portfolio and their stock options shoot up to when the Dow was close to forty thousand or mm-hmm. or whatever it was, right? And it all kind of materialized in this like really this really big increase in in demand. But it wasn't just first time home buyers, and we've seen this pretty much throughout the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But uh, resort markets and and just a lot of second vacation homes in general. Yeah, and and it, it did increase by uh, you know a, a marginal number two three percent. The other thing that um, that also kind of helped out you know, first time buyers is we also know that during the pandemic, uh, investors actually did not come into the market because of eviction moratorium. Eviction and investors typically compete with for, with first time buyers, and first time buyers got a little bit of advantage during that period of time. And you're right, you know, vacation homes, second homes because of remote working, a lot of people decide, hey, I can just live, what, two hours away, three hours away from where I live. Yeah, oh, and I'll like, hey, I'll keep my main house and, you know, if they ever call me back to the office, I still have that. But in the meantime, I'm going to get a place in, you know, like I said, Bass Lake or, um, you know, but by Yosemite or out in Mammoth and Big Bear, all these markets where we saw really exceptional growth over the course of the last couple of years. So again, I think it's helpful to kind of look back in time and just remember kind of how pumped up the uh, the buyer demand numbers were. And of course, you saw it in the closed transactions, 445,000 units. That's a lot. That's significant. I think, you know, the last, it was the highest in the last 12 years or so. Now we did have, of course, you're showing only through 2010. When we go back, if we were to go back to 05, 06, obviously we have some high number, but we all right. we all know what happened, you know, during 05 or after 05, 06. That, that's not sustainable. Right now, you know, in, in 2021, we saw some numbers that are, that are real numbers because of interest rates and because of the desire to buy uh, because of remote working. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you, again, this is pretty incredible, especially in the midst of an economy that hadn't been fully recovered. We were still in a pandemic for a significant mm-hmm. chunk of 2021 with new variants and upticks and cases and deaths and, and all of that stuff. But again, just kind of that counter cyclical boost to buyer demand. You didn't just see it in the kind of indicators of demand. You saw it in real, honest mm-hmm. to goodness uh, home sales. And, and what was really interesting, again, and probably a testament to some of that economic data was just how well the very top end of, of the market was doing, right? Because overall sales were at a, a you know 12-year high, but the top end was like shot through the roof. Absolutely. I think uh, consistently uh, after maybe second half of 2020 after people realized oh, okay well we can actually do business in, during the pandemic and you know those top end as you mentioned earlier high wage earners they are the ones that are more likely to be able to work from home and you know in the tech sectors you know in the bay area 
they're more likely to work from home. And that's why I think the top end has been increasing at one point by like triple digits. Yeah, not even just 100%. It was like 320% or something at one point last summer. And so, you know, part of the, the fact of the market growing so much was just because the top end again was really, really going gangbusters mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. all through 2020. And then it accelerated into 2021. I mean, you know, these these growth rates back in 2020, if you look at the, the slides are, you know, you can barely notice the 100% growth because they're just dwarfed by the acceleration and growth that we had um, in 21. So that was already coming off a strong year in the top end of the market in 21 just got even even stronger but of course at the same time we had this huge dramatic shift on the on the supply front right we do uh even before the pandemic i think uh we right. have been complaining or we have been saying that you know we have been we have not been building enough people have been holding on to their property for a little longer and when the pandemic hit we saw maybe in you know, April, March, April of 2020, well, there might be an increase in supply because of the shutdown. But of course, that didn't last long. Uh, May, June, July, we started seeing a flood of uh, demand and that housing demand, that unsold inventory index or, you know, supply started dwindling to the lowest level we have ever seen. Yeah, I mean, 1.2 months of supply means that if we didn't add any, you know, homes to the market at the end of 21, we were going to be all sold out of homes before we even got halfway through uh, February, right? And so just, mm -hmm. again, right at the time when demand is surging, we had a huge pullback in supply, both because, you know, the surging demand gobbled up a lot of the units that were out there available for sale. You also had a lot of sellers pulling back at that time just because of, you know, safety concerns and things like that. And just the kind of hoops you had to jump through to be on the MLS with PED forms and all of that stuff. And, and so it was, you know, this kind of combination of intense supply or intense demand and pretty, pretty much no inventory out there to speak of that led us to these kind of, uh, to the situation we're in now. One of the things I didn't mention at the forecast, which also contributed, but is that we also had a lot of like fiscal and monetary stimulus pouring into mm -hmm. the system during those two years as well. And of course, now um, we find ourselves in just a period of an inflation more broadly in the macro economy, but certainly when it came to the housing market too, right? And the market was just so competitive. Yeah, I think, you know, you said it right. There's the stimulus stuff. There is a combination. It's a combination of a lot of things. Obviously, fiscal stimulus may not necessarily just foster, you know, the uh, huge increase in inflation. There are some supply constraints and all those other stuff as well. But for California, for homes, um, it's a it's a combination of a lot of things. Um with the supply, with the supply shortage that we're seeing, obviously there is a lot of competitive uh, competitiveness in the market, uh, and people with the with interest rates being low, people are able to offer at a higher bid and everything. So, supply sales in the market or inventory sales in the market for a very very short period of time uh, during the pandemic, because well, there's an imbalance between supply and demand, and people seems to have you know a a significant increase in purchasing power. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you're looking at median time on market last summer of seven days, right? So just the market red hot, again, the lowest levels we've ever seen. And and you saw it too, in, in terms of people, um, you know, bidding more than, than the seller was even asking for. And, and we never saw numbers like those either. 
Yeah, uh, well, you know, you said seven days, and keep in mind that number is a median price. That means a yeah. lot of people are actually buying in one day, maybe in a few hours or so. And, you know, when people had to, you know, outbid others, they often, you know, put, uh, and, and with the 3% or 2.5% interest rates, they don't mind offering 10,000 more, 20,000 more over the asking price. And that's why we are seeing, you know, the typical, um, uh, uh, sales or, or uh, share over uh, asking price is about 40% at the peak of a season. But right. during the 2021 uh, time, we actually saw that percentage went all the way up to 72, 73%. Um, yeah, it almost doubled a normal summer, right? Like, absolutely. Just insane. And again, this is just a function of a market that was just so incredibly red hot. All of that demand, no supply. And you see the homes just sell incredibly quickly. And again, people having to outcompete each other on price. And, and that's at least part of the reason why we got up last year, or I guess earlier this year, to a $900,000 median price. And again, as you mentioned, medians mean that half the homes that sold earlier this year were selling for more mm -hmm. than 900,000, which is just incredible. Now, we, of course, we also um, will, you know, give some credits to this, the mix of sales also, because you said we have a lot of high-end home being sold, and that actually could move the median up a little bit. And many of the people who purchase high-end homes, they are tech workers, and they might be in uh, areas such as the Bay Area. And so, so um, even as of April or May, we actually saw a median price hitting the 900000 That's partly because of mix of sales, but of course, People were rushing in to try to take advantage of the last chance to lock in with a relatively low rate. Yeah, exactly. No, and it's a great point, right? At one point when sales and prices were growing by, you know, 35, 40% earlier this year, last year, part of that was just because, again, they were being inflated by the, you know, number of $10 million homes that that we were selling. And I think that's important context as we move forward, right? Because some of the, the kind of weakness, as it were, in prices that we have forecast is just a function of those homes no longer growing by 350% uh, on a year-to-year -year basis anymore, right? So, so mm -hmm. it kind of is going to, it magnified the price growth that we saw on the front end, and it'll probably mean that the, the price numbers will look worse than they really are on the back end, just because we're unwinding a bit of this kind of uh, once in a lifetime surge and really high end homes. Right. And I, I, I do meant to, I, I meant to ask you also that, you know, um, you know, as we are going to talk about, you know, the 2022 and 2023 numbers, whether yeah. there might be some pulling forward. Yeah. And I think that's the effect here is we kind of borrowed forward a lot of the demand. It met up with the lack of supply, right? And it pushed prices up. You also had just a lot of the people who, you know, would have been in the market for the next couple of years of $10 million homes. It made sense for them to do that move sooner than later when the stock market was still mm -hmm. high and rates were still super low. And so again, to your point, you know, I think that that is going to make the numbers over the next year and a half look weaker than than they really, really are. Of course, um, we also have just the whole Fed kind of uh, <laughs> activity in the mix as well, right? Because part of this is a normalization, but part of it is that we have this kind of still and and at the time of this recording we had just gotten the fresh cpi number that was still you know the headline number came down but core cpi was still like a 40-year high and you have the fed just constantly behind the eight ball do you think we're going to see more rate increases well you know with you're right the core cpi looks uh kind of high in fact you know we thought 
it's it's going in a different direction than the the headline number. It actually started bouncing back up. Yeah. But there might be some a chance, and I would say a chance, or maybe even a facade that it could we could see a lower inflation number in uh, October, and partly because of what happened, as I mentioned earlier, about you know the um, the uh, Amazon Prime or some of the other uh, big retailers actually promoting their stuff a little sooner in October, that means inflation number for October possibly could see a lower number. Now, how would the Fed actually react to that if they look at those numbers? I would say they're probably going to stick with their plan as to what's going to happen in, in, in November, which I think based on some numbers that we have seen, most likely they are going to increase rates by about 75 basis point in their next meeting. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, they've been like, like we said, they've been behind the eight ball, behind the curve the whole time. They think they need a three and a half. Then they go to their next meeting. They think they need a 4.6% mm-hmm. head funds rate. And so they're, you know, constantly kind of overestimating their ability to get inflation under control and have to kind of backpedal it and, and raise rates. And, you know, the effect of that is already playing itself out in the marketplace, right? I updated oh, yeah. this interest rate chart just a minute before we got on and the latest Freddie Mac number was almost 7%, 6.92. So we're, you know, more than 400 basis points above that all-time low. And that has an impact. It definitely has. I mean, we have seen, as you mentioned, you know, the Federal Reserve continue to be aggressive and change rates. And a lot of time, of course, the 30-year fixed rates if everything is according to going according to the Fed funds target, then the 30-year fixed rate should already anticipate what's going to happen, you know, in uh, rates six months uh, or so from now. But because the Federal Reserve continued to miss, and and let's let's face it, they're not the only one that missed it. Everyone sure. kind of missed it, so they continue to adjust their target, and that's why you know rates continue to uh, uh, get a little higher. Sometime it may, may not necessarily be, I mean, eventually it could come down, but right now you know, it looks like inflation is uh, tough to control and they're just, you know, the, the market is just following what the Fed funds, the Federal Reserve are doing, uh, continue yeah. to increase. And at this point, we're getting to a level that is about seven, what, 7% ish or so. Right. And I think we could see them go higher. And the, the effect is that, you know, people just don't qualify for as much as they used to qualify for, right? In the same way that going from five pre-pandemic down to the low threes or high twos or whatever, added a couple hundred grand in purchasing power. Now that they're up 400 basis points, you know, just to have that same debt to income ratio, that same monthly mortgage payment, it means you have to buy, you know, a, a cheaper, cheaper home. And indeed, you know, when you kind of you know, take into the account the fact that even as buyer demand is now taking a step back in the face of these higher rates and mortgage applications and pending sales are down and prices are only up one, one and a half percent. Once you put that together with the effect of higher interest rates, it's still taking a big bite out of consumers. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at uh, more than double. If we look at that lowest point of 2.65, 30-year fixed rates, we're yep. more than double that that already. Um, So an increase of 30, 40, 50% in mortgage payments, which is equivalent to somewhere around 1,000, 1,200 a month. That's a significant amount. 
Yeah, for the exact same home. And so even as price growth slows, and I think that's an important consideration for buyers who are maybe thinking about sitting this one out on the sidelines, or they're scared off by the fact that rates have gone up or that they don't qualify um, for as much. You know, the, the reality is that even if prices come down a little bit with rates as high as they are, it could mean paying even more money in the future by by waiting and probably missing out on on some, some, you know, appreciation, or at least, you know, getting in before rates get any higher than they right. are uh, right now. And of course, you can see the impact is that the longer folks have waited this cycle, um, the worse off they've been. And, and we saw housing affordability now not fall to an all time low, but California affordability is um, starting to look pretty ugly. Yeah, I mean, we're still in uh, 15, 16 right now. And of course, this is the second quarter and we could potentially get a little lower you know if interest rates and we anticipate interest rates to actually go up uh, yeah. a little bit more you know this quarter next quarter or maybe yeah, first quarter of next year so you know the 16% even though you know, we have already dropped by about 7% 7 percentage points already it could potentially go a little lower and if you look at some of the other areas um some counties actually dropped below 10% already yeah. And so, again, this is just a function of a market that was just running so hot, so much demand, so little supply. It pushed all those prices up and reduced affordability that's now just being compounded with this Fed uh, war on on inflation. So I get people asking all the time, does that mean then we're on the, <laughs> the precipice, right? Like negative um, 20, 30, 40 percent in sales and mortgage applications. These are are scary numbers. But I think, you know, in some ways, if you look at it through the lens of how hot the last couple of years were, you know, you could make an argument that the market's just catching its breath, right? That it's not 2008 all over again. And we could talk a little bit about why, but it's just, you know, again, we were at unsustainable levels of, of demand, especially relative to supply and, and the market mechanism worked exactly as you would expect, right? That when you have an imbalance, prices go up, competitiveness goes up, and eventually it causes some buyers to step back and some sellers to put their homes on the market because they're selling so quick and so favorably, right? And I think that is largely, you know, or at least explains a good chunk of where we are today, right? And I just want to go back again to 2020 and 2021, right? We are, we were up 22% overall in transactions in 2022, or in 2021, excuse me, especially again, because that top end of the market was just performing so incredibly uh, strong, right? But you could even see it back in 20. 20, where, you know, the five to 9 million or the five to 10 million was already grown by 23%, even in 2020. And that was with a couple months of shutdown baked in. And, and so, yes, this year, you know, through the first eight months, and we're going to put out September numbers um, soon, but we're down almost 20%, but relative to having grown by more than 20% last year, that, that kind of doesn't seem as bad. That's kind of, you know, we're still slightly ahead of, of where we started. Yeah, and and yeah, as we said earlier, you know there could be some pullback that we mentioned earlier, and uh, we did have a at one point uh, in one or two months we did actually set a uh, sales level to you know the highest in the last fifteen years or so. Yeah. Um, it was so you know it's incredible, but at the same time, yes, now let's face it, we we do have some pace uh, slow, uh, pullback. Yeah. Um, because and, partly because of the rates and partly because of, you know, the um, uncertainty of the market that we're seeing. 
Right. And I think, you know, the, the key point for me is that, you know, the yes, sales are, are down, but even at the top end of the market, like the numbers aren't falling apart, right? 10 million and up is actually still up 1% this year, just not growing by 140% the way that it was uh, through the first eight months of, of last year, right? So part of this is just to be kind of expected in a market that's coming back down to earth with, you know, demand rebalancing and supply uh, increasing slightly. But I think another part and the reason why we have kind of a modest recession baked into our forecast is that this Fed war against inflation really does, um, you know, have impacts on, you know, particularly home buyers who mm-hmm. uh, are going to have trouble qualifying with prices that were, you know, set based on 2.5 uh, percent mortgage rates. And of course, you see that in, in the various measures of buyer demand that we have now, where we're not just below the kind of um, super highs of last year, but we're actually now below the kind of pre-pandemic level. And those gaps are starting to widen uh, in the most recent data. Yeah. And, and you know, when we when you compare it to, it's, it's, a, it's not easy or not fair to compare with, you know, the highest, you know, uh, level in 2021 or 2020. Uh, but you know, be you know when we you know, try to be realistic and compare to pre-pandemic level, we see that you know we that you're, there's there has been you know a little bit of a subpar level compared yeah, to pandemic level. Slipping. Yeah, we're slipping there. And and same thing on first-time home buyers too. We had a good run there with a good year in 2020, and it was even pretty decent in 21. But now we've had two years in a row where it's coming down. But if you look at yes, so we are coming down a little bit. If you look at the percent of first-time buyers, of course, this again was to give you some context in the background, this was collected in the second quarter of 2022. Moving yep. into 2020, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter, this number could possibly go down a little bit more. But if you look at that share of first-time buyers uh, for 2022, so far, yes, it dipped for a second uh, year in a row. Uh, but if you look at how it compares to the last few years, uh, historical going back to, let's say, 2013, it still ha- have a decent level Partly because the economy is still doing okay. Yeah. No, and I think you know the 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 kind of there is a renewed passion for home ownership. It's it's clear in the numbers of buyers that went out and bought, and all the kind of strong demand numbers that we saw over the last couple of years. I think this is purely a just you know not everyone can afford these these higher rates, and right. we kind of see that playing itself out a little bit in in the home ownership numbers as well, which I kind of jettisoned from this deck just because we had so many slides, but they both kind of tell that same story, and actually you see it in in the mortgage mm. applications as well, right, that we're normalizing back down below those pre-pandemic levels. But what's interesting is that if you look at this time series chart, and the reason why I brought this is like, yes, the numbers are down from last year and the year before, but they're not super down compared to like the preceding handful of years leading up to the pandemic. Yeah, I can see that, um, you know, it's going through the normal ups and downs to seasonality. uh, And you know, to, compared to 2021, again, it's not uh, a fair comparison, but it is a little a lower, uh, but it is not too scary. Right. So it's like, you know, it's the kind of on the one hand, on the other hand story. Yes, the rates have gone up. Yes, that impacts purchasing power. Um, yes, affordability is down and that's eroded um, buyer demand. The point being, though, is that it hasn't eroded it to, you know, these kind of super scary levels where the market's going to fall apart. You still have people getting married, having babies, all of those life events that trigger buyer demand, which is why um, we're actually still hovering in the kind of 300,000 range for sales, which, again, is down, not just from those records 
points last year, but down in general, right? Not a not a great number, but they're also not continuing to drop um, by bigger and bigger percentages, at least on a month to month basis anymore. And you could see in the in the August number for transactions that we actually bounce back a little bit from the really terrible July number, and we'll probably be somewhere in that three hundred thousand range when the dust settles on September. So again, not shooting right back. But we don't necessarily expect it to, you know, the bottom to fall out, do we? No, I, I think you know uh, um, a big part of it is um, you mentioned that interest rates right now uh, it's sort of like a shock to a lot of people. Well, it's at six and a half percent, seven percent, but partly because they're not accustomed to seeing that level. Once they actually get used to, okay, well, six and a half actually maybe the norm. They realize, okay, well, I probably should not hold back. Some people may actually opt to buy a, a more affordable house, for example. Right. Uh, but I think you know we are getting to that level of um, you know uh, of sales, maybe settling at around three, three, three hundred five or so, uh, and then people started realizing, okay, once they re- realized that's the rate that they're at, uh, that's the rate that the number, the 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 the, bor- the cost of borrowing will be, they yep. will probably uh, come back. Right. And the other thing variable to throw in too is that it's not just the first time homebuyers, right? In the same way that during 20 and during the foreclosure moratoriums, you know, the investors took a step back now that, you know, first time buyers have taken a bit of a step back and, you know, investors have the advantage in many cases of mm-hmm. not having to, to kind of absorb the the interest rate impact, right? If you're buying it for cash and you're looking for a safe haven from inflation and a rental property that you can maintain, um, into into the future, then you know there's there's the kind of um, uptick that we might expect on the investor front, especially as we become potentially a majority renter state. So you know, and I, I those numbers came back as well. So again, there's going to be some bottom and minimum level to the transaction numbers. I think that we see over the course of the next couple of years. It's not going to come rocketing back, but there are other avenues to generate uh, transactions from, especially as there's more listings. And and you can see that those numbers have gone up to the highest levels we've seen since 2020 as well. Yeah, and and you know the um, you know with investors obviously. Part of the reason why it's actually uh, coming back is because of you know the lifting of the eviction moratorium. Right. I think Absolutely. I think that's that's a big part of it. And obviously, California has a higher cost than compared to you know some of the other states. And one of the reasons why uh, we are not seeing a, a a significant we're seeing an increase in investor share. There's no doubt about it because of you know if people cannot buy. They'll probably go to the rental market, and we already addressed addressed that issue. That you know, there will be, you know, uh, people who may not necessarily be able to purchase right now, and they could be forming a households, and they will be buying, or they will be renting. And so, right. I think investor shares uh, increase, and will probably increase in the upcoming years as well. And I remember, you know, back in the days in what 2010, 2011, yeah. um, first time buyers were having a little trouble back then. And investors just jump in. I think the investors share probably could help, you know, uh, kind of level off the uh, sales a little bit in 2023. 
Yeah. So the point being is that we're searching for bottom on the demand side, right? The supply side has ticked up. This is one of those kind of alarm bells that has people really worried because there's more um, active inventory out there. Does that mean prices are going to start dropping? Is this 2008 all over again? You know, I, I, I don't think so. We have seen competitiveness deteriorate. We're at 19 days in August for the median time on market. But if you look back historically, like that's still a very quick um market right and and same thing on the uh on the the kind of home selling above list instead of three out of four homes we're now down to you know one out of of three and so again this is all kind of as to be expected when you get more supply less less demand um and and you have sellers who are kind of coming to grips with reality right because 43 percent the most recent data of actives had been reduced already and that was something that we haven't seen in a very long time yeah, that 43, 44%, obviously, it's higher than what we saw in the last couple of years or so. There's some seasonality to it as well. Yeah. But uh, if you look at the fact that I think many of the sellers are accustomed to uh, pricing their house a little bit higher, um, they haven't been able to you know, look at how the market has been uh, doing in the last, let's say, uh, few months or so to adjust their to their reality. So it is true, you know, we are seeing some reductions in price. Um, that number seems high, but at the same time, I think they might be using, some of the sellers may be using the price that were used in May or June. And we already said it, you said it, you know, we hit a uh, record high median price in June. So I think uh, the, the reality will kick in. I think we will see some numbers and that reductions of uh, price, uh, active listings reducing price number probably will uh, get back to a little bit more normal eventually. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, again, this just shows me that that rebalancing process is alive and well, right? Sellers are um, having to go from extrapolating that June home sale that their buddy or neighbor did where they got a great price and it went pending in less than seven days. And they had, you know, tons of offers coming in and all that stuff to having a market that's a little bit softer on the demand side and having to, um, you know, come back down to reality a little bit. I mean, we still see uh, I think it was 30% almost of home selling above list, right? So it's just about having that home priced right because there, you know, isn't that same ferocity of, of buyer demand. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that buyers who are kind of sitting this one out on the sidelines might be missing out on, right? Is that yes, rates are higher right now, but the market's a lot less competitive. And so if you've been getting outbid or you had a, you know, PMI that the seller didn't want to consider, or, you know, you wanted to ask for closing costs or what have you, like all of those things I think are on the table now, whereas they haven't been for a very long time. And so, yes, you got to absorb the impact of higher um, rates, but you can always finance, refinance that down in the future if we get back down to 5%. And, you know, in the in the meantime, you could be, um, you know, having, having your opportunity pass you by just because you're not having to claw, you know, past so many other buyers in the marketplace. Yeah, I think, you know, it's very true that, you know, you know there are always... Um, one hand, on the one hand, it's such and such. On the other hand, it's such and such. You can actually wait, you know, for a lot of people may, th may think, okay, well, I can wait until next year when prices come down, but at the same time, interest rate will go up. You know, I was, I, I would think, you know, the, the toughest part, and we have talked about this before and during the pandemic, is really to find a home. If you right. find the right home, then secure it, and you can always, you know, get a, a rate and refinance it later. 
Yeah. And I always ask, you know, when people say, is it a good time to buy? I always respond with another question, you know, like, what's your timeline? What are you buying the house for? Mm -hmm. Are there homes that you can afford in your price range? You know, and, and all of those things, I think if the answer is yes, and, and, you know, look, if you're buying a house and you're trying to buy and sell in the next six months, we're in a period of heightened economic risk, right? But if you're buying a home for the next 10 to 15 years, I have no doubt that, you know, prices are going to be right. higher than they are now. And we're going to look back on, you know, the good old days of $900,000 median prices with fondness as, as crazy as that sounds because when you look at at the fundamentals right like you you know even though we have a modest price reduction baked into our forecast it's not 2008 all over again the reason why actives are up is because homes aren't selling as much right it's not because sellers are flooding the market with new listings the number of new listings is like exactly where it's been for the last couple of years in fact i i'd argue we might see that tighten up right why are you going to sell your home with economic uncertainty, if you're sitting on a two and a half percent mortgage rate and still in your multiple six figure a year uh, income, you might decide to just wait and see, especially if moving means giving up your 2.6% rate and getting into a 7%, right? Because we haven't figured out the assumable piece yet, but that kind of will preclude a major decline in, in prices, right? Because if people aren't just throwing homes onto the MLS and flooding the market with inventory, it's, it's hard to see, you know, there's going to be a limit to how much sellers are going to be willing to negotiate, I think, in that kind of condition. I and think, of course you know, the, the new active listings part, I think you mentioned, um, even though we are seeing overall active listing, not new active listing, but new uh, active listings might have increased, but the new active listings, at least in the past, you know, few weeks or last month or so, we're seeing actually a decline right. of eight or nine percent. So, so it is exactly what you said, you know, in terms of people locking in uh, and not willing to put their house up on the market. What about foreclosures? Do you expect a foreclosure crisis? Well, foreclosures, again, it is not 2009, 2010 all over again. A lot of people actually put in the last few years, 17, 18, 19, 20, a lot of people actually put an equity, a down payment of what, 10% or so for first time buyers and for like repeat buyers, even maybe 20% or so. So, they're not, they're not losing their equity, especially since in the last year or two, and uh, prices have gone up. So uh, not a lot of people are going to be throwing the keys back to lenders because it's not 0% down payment. They actually have equity and they're not people who are flipping. There are yeah. people who are actually living there, as you said, uh, primarily for five, 10 years or so. So they can ride this out. And we do, we'll, we'll see some, I mean, I'm, let's face it, we're not going to see a flat foreclosure rate, it will be a, bit, a little bit higher than let's say two years ago or so, right. but that number is going to be small, small enough that it's not going to have an impact on prices. Right. And I think you can see that in the, in the delinquency numbers, right? That like we're, we're running less than 3% of the mortgages that are delinquent. And as you mentioned, a great point, you know, you don't uh, foreclose on a home that you have equity in, you just sell it or, you know, you sit on it. And so um, I think that's kind of borne out by what the banks are reporting as well. And of course, these are all very high credit individuals that we originated these loans to. They put money down. They're mostly in those kind of high income earning industries that are, you know, well above pre-pandemic levels of employment on like retail and, and tourism, right? Those have already rocketed past um, all-time high levels. And so I think that we're uh, in it for, for, you know, a relatively modest experience on the foreclosure front. What about the long-term benefits of home ownership? That has not gone anywhere, has it? Well, 
Ownership, home ownership, and we have talked about this many, many times. In order to accumulate wealth, you need to buy a home. And obviously, uh, if you look at the real household net worth, if you look at you know owners, there's a significant difference between owners and renters and others. Uh, a lot of Meaning people owners have wealth and everybody else doesn't. <laughs> right. I mean, when you when you when you're an owner, you know that on a monthly basis you have to put some money in, uh, and that money, you know, over the long run. You know, not a one-year, two-year term, but over the long run, you will continue to accumulate, and that happens from time to time. We've seen it, uh, and that's one way to you know accumulate wealth. And also, uh, I think you know, uh, in my perspective, in order, to, uh, in addition to accumulating wealth, I mean, you kind of set a habit of okay, well, I need to be responsible. I need to do this and that, and that's how you actually save a lot of money. Um, People, you know, renters can say, a lot of renters might have said, okay, well, I can actually set aside the money and actually put it in the stock market or do something Bitcoin. else. Yeah. But in reality, did it really happen? That's really hard to say. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, and it's not just wealth. That's the chart that I picked out because it's just so stark, the contrast. But there's so many benefits to home ownership in addition to wealth. Like your kids graduate school mm -hmm. at higher rates. You're more engaged in your um, community. Your kids are actually more likely to become homeowners themselves independent of income, right? So they looked at, uh, you know, children of people making 200 grand a year, ones that owned and ones that rented. And the people who worked for, or, you know, come from 200, $300,000 a year households still were more likely to own a home if their parents did. It's not just an income mm -hmm. thing. There's like additional benefits above and beyond the health benefits, right? That kids of homeowners do. So, I mean, it's just, it's across, it's across the board. And I just wanted to make sure it's not just wealth. I didn't want to cheapen um, the benefits, but wealth is certainly a, a fundamental driver. And again, I think from the long run standpoint, it still makes sense to own real estate in California, because we just have that fundamental supply and demand problem where we've got yeah. way more people in this state and we've slashed the amount of new construction that we do. And so again, if you just think about that from an Econ 101 standpoint, prices can really only ever go uh, one one way. And that's why the long run trend line is up. And even if we have a little bit of a price decline this year, and maybe even a price decline, you know, in 24 as well, you know, the long run trend is up and, and we have these periods where you go above and you overshoot and you come back down. But again, because we, you know, are no longer 25, but 40 million people and no longer build 300, but instead 100,000 homes a year, um, you know, it's pretty easy to project where the long run uh, trend line is going to go mm -hmm. in, in California. And of course, you know, 7% rates are high, much higher than two and a half percent, right? But it's not <laughs> terrible by historical standards, right? It is it's not. I mean... We've seen even, you know, even as of like 15 years ago or, you know, 20 years within the last 20 years, you know, we have seen rates a lot higher. You right. you pointed out in the slide here, you know, dot-com bubble, you know, at, I think in 2000 or 1999, we have never seen rates at 3% or 4%. And at that time, we thought, okay, well, 8% is actually not too bad. 7% is actually not too bad. Now that we have seen 3% or below 3%, you know, it looks like, you know, 7% is high. But of course, at the same time, I have to be real. Uh, prices have not actually, we have never had prices gone up to oh, 900,000 as well. Yeah. But, you know, you 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 compare it to, you know, the inflation era of 1980s, 1990, you know, that's way about, as you see here, 15, 20%. That's something that we have seen before.
Yeah, and incomes are a lot higher than they were in the 80s. It hasn't you know, been a one-for-one one growth, so affordability is worse today than it was uh, in the 80s, certainly. But we have had some income growth as well to help uh, withstand some of these things. And, of course, you know, you, you marry the house and date the rate, right? If the economy uh, doesn't do well and the Fed, you know, is able to get inflation under control, there's a chance we could see those dip from 7% back down into the 5% range sometime in the next couple of years. And you'll be able to take advantage of that as a homeowner if rates drop back down there's nothing stopping you from um, you know bringing that monthly that monthly payment down and so in some ways yes like the the economy is I think poised for some challenges we talked about uh, the inflation stuff we talked about how um, hard it is to adjust to a 400 basis point increase in rates we didn't talk about it but I think consumers are starting to run out of steam and that's probably our biggest risk right they're facing higher prices higher credit card debts they've all got big giant car loan payments now that that we're all making and that probably will start to unwind itself meaning that we're looking at a modest um, recession but it's not going to be terrible can you just walk everybody through what we think is going to happen on the macro front yeah, on the macro side, you know, the it's not just the housing market. Obviously, there is a difference between, you know, wage growth. Wage growth right now is actually growing at a decent pace compared to what we have seen before. But at the same time, inflation actually is, is rising a little faster. And that's why, you know, uh, consumers are going to feel, you know, exhausted a little bit. And as rates continue to rise, and as the Federal Reserve continue to tighten up their monetary policy, we are going to see some slowdown in economic activity. And as such, in 2023, we do expect maybe in the first quarter or second quarter, we're going to see some slowdown. And when we see some slowdown, we do expect a mild recession, uh, just like you know a lot of economists expect. We, it's not going to be what we saw in the pandemic, not a shutdown, you know, a, a dip of 15, 20%, some mild recessions, and for the average for the year of 2023, we expect a 0.5% drop in GDP. At the same time, you know, that means we're going to see some slowdown in job growth. But let's let's look at the numbers right now, though. Labor market actually has been doing very well, even though it's not as high as what we saw early part of 2022. It's still at a decent level. We're still looking at an unemployment rate in 2023 at 4.4%. And 4.4% in a normal year, if you look back at what happened in 2021, 2020, uh, maybe 2017 and 2016, it's still at a pretty decent level. So I think, you know, we're good. The only thing, of course, that we will need to continue to worry about is the inflation number. Let's let's be realistic. It is not going to go back to 2% in 2023, maybe right. not even 2024. We're probably close to peak and maybe even the overall number has peaked and we'll start to come down, but it's going to be a slow burn, right? So we got a right. still a 4.4%, which is ahead of that Fed target. So they're going to keep their foot on the gas. And I think that kind of filters through to where we see the housing market, right? Which is that this year we've already right. you know, borne the brunt, I think, of this major adjustment in rates. We have sales down about 20%. This year, when the dust settles and and prices only going up about 5.7% after multiple back-to-back, uh, -back, you know, double-digit years for price growth. And when you think about the, you know, what's going to happen in 23 through the lens of yes, a, a modest consumer pullback, driving a mild recession in the first couple quarters of the year, 
inflation being relatively hot and probably peaking somewhere, you know, in the seven to seven and a half percent range, giving us this mm-hmm. 6.6% annualized number where it'll start to come down into the sixes probably towards the end of, of the year. But, you know, that that will probably um, cause sales to pull back even a little bit more from where we'll be at the end of 2022. We have a 7.2% decline, not a huge decline. And actually, if you think about the 330,000 units or so from the standpoint of where we were in July, we're probably getting close to bottom. Uh, We're just not going to come shooting back with any kind of vigor, I think, until uh, we're past that peak inflation and the Fed can start to kind of ease off uh, a little bit. But I think with demand stepping back and the fact that we're not going to see 300% growth in $10 million homes anymore, and probably, um, you know, have, have a ongoing challenge with purchasing power because of those rates and whatnot that that we'll see prices go down about eight nine uh, percent affordability is still going to get worse because once you you know even with an eight percent decline in home prices uh, much higher rates mean that people are still uh, worse off than than they were but these aren't terrible numbers and I think you you know context as we said before is key get away from the most recent headline focus on those long-term benefits the fact that the market and sales at least is probably nearing bottom about half the price decline that we're looking at is just from a rebalancing away from the very top end of the market. So yes, prices are, you know, potentially volatile over the next 12 months, but over the next 12 to 18 years, I feel very confident in forecasting that they'll only go uh, up from here just because again, so many people, not enough homes. And I think that is going to be the tail of tape. The good news I think is that consumers need realtors more than ever before, right? The market's changing, Mm -hmm. rates are changing, new mortgage products and stuff. But I think, you know, the the bad news is that consumers need us more than ever too, meaning that we just really have to step up our game and and be there for them. Any words of wisdom that we should leave folks with? I think, you know, it's uh, very uh, good to say, yes, there will be tough times, but at the same time, this is really the time that many of us, many realtors can shine because you have the expertise, you have the knowledge, you know a lot about what's going on with the lending environment. You know, you know about, you know, what's going on with uh, certain policy, POP19, for example. That's something that can benefit a lot of the uh, uh, retirees, a lot of sellers, people who want to move. Uh, they may not necessarily know what, uh, how to actually navigate these uh, tough situations. And I think realtors can really help uh, in this situation. Absolutely. No, I think that's the recipe for success. I think that if you can really provide value and service and help them cut through all the noise and headlines and scariness that's out there and get that long-term perspective, you're not just going to survive the next 12 to 18 months. You're going to be setting yourself up for success for the next 12 to 18 years as those referrals pour in and they recommend you to everybody um, that they know. So I think we've gone on for a very long time. I hope you enjoyed this video edition of the Housing Matters podcast, and hopefully you're going to celebrate with us the 100th episode. It's been a wild ride. I so enjoy um, getting to spend time with you, Oscar, and this is our chance to just kind of candidly um, nerd out together, and you always bring your A game, and I so appreciate oh, everything thank you. you do. It's been a, a great partnership, and I look forward to the next 100 episodes. Absolutely, and maybe, I mean, we're still doing it through Zoom right now. Maybe the uh, 101, 110, 120, we may actually be uh, doing it in person at some point. And maybe we can actually have a uh, a slightly different uh, presentation then. But until then. Absolutely. We'll leave it there. And thank you all so much. See you on the next one.